Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Y'all, in the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, you know DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting 5 bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant dub, baby. All right, so this week, we've got the 76ers going against the Pistons. The Pistons are getting 12 points. They must suck. Hey, that's not a bad line, though, for me. The Pelicans uh, have are minus eight over the Wizards. The Hornets are getting eight points against the Heat. You know, I'm not really the biggest basketball fan until it comes to the, the end, but I'm assuming that the, the Hornets don't hit. But those are some pretty good lines that I would bet on, even though I don't know much about the game. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code POA. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 in basketball only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code POA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HO-PENNY or text H-O-P-E-N-Y-467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com basketball terms. Hoo-wee. Give it up for him, everybody. How about that, Airheads? He made it through there. I realized we've had a few of those DraftKings reads, and I've done them too. And they're reading fast at the end. It's harder than you think, but also there's a part in there. You said ho penny, and yeah, I think yeah. I've always said ho penny to it. I think that's uh, supposed only, to spell it out. Well, it's a hope 
N N Y. It's, of course yeah. it is. Of yeah, course right. it is. It's a new it's ho- about gambling addiction. Gambling and it yeah, it'd be a funny name for a gambling addiction hotline to call it Ho-Penny. Ho-Penny. Call Ho-Penny now. Yeah, yeah. That's well, my bad what guys. You'll what you'll have if you don't stop <laughs> gambling. You know, yeah. but hope my bad, you're right. makes more hope, sense, I think. It makes way more sense, dude. 1-800-HO-PENNY today, yeah. <laughs> God, that, my brain just, it's not, it ain't what it ought to be. I know, I, I don't blame you. That's fine. Um, yeah, we're going to keep, uh, Cho specifically requested to go first again this week. He's going to be talking about uh, Orson Welles, right? And Citizen Spe- Orson Welles and specifically Citizen Kane, because I want hey. to uh, I want to be able to talk about Orson Welles at, at length later. But uh, it, just talking about Citizen Kane, there's so much there. So I didn't want to get bogged down in all his other bullshit. I, and then as for me, if you if you listened last week, you recall that I went through some of uh, history's greatest cock-ups, uh, stupid-ass embarrassing mistakes, and I've got a few more of those forians after Cho does his Orson Welles thing. Uh, but first, I wanted to talk about another little mini-subject um, that I just found out about. You know, listen, th- look, this is a fucking minefield I'm about to wade into right here, but still, uh, I don't know if you've heard Cho, but a lot of abortion talk in this country oh, lately. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and what I didn't know or have a good sense of is how abortion is looked at in other places uh, right. necessarily. And I still don't. I'm still ignorant as all get out. But I did find out about one place. Well, actually, I guess it's a couple places. In uh, Taiwan, I'm sure about Taiwan. You know, I said I was going to learn some uh, China stuff. Well, I don't well know. actually, I shouldn't say that. So do you, you, you know why? Because they don't, they don't right. uh, consider each other them. Yeah, that like would be China great. tried that to make them hugely us. offensive to Taiwanese yes. people. What I but just said, but you want to learn about Asian stuff. You want to, yeah, you want to learn about Asian stuff. Taiwan, but yes. Taiwan's like we ain't y'all, and China's yeah. like no, you us, and it's been and that way from, for seventy years or whatever. From what I hear, like that is because that's the same situation with Scotland and England, but I think it's more intense. The Taiwan Chinese one is more intense. intense. Like they've got troops on the ground and stuff over that shit. Whereas in Scotland and them, it's like, yeah, no, the Scottish people are just like, we don't want to be you. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The Scots are like, they will begrudgingly admit that they are a part of the United Kingdom. It's just that that don't hit for them and they would prefer not to be, but like Taiwan and China, they don't, and yeah, yeah. There, there's no but agreement it, on. But anyway, all of that. To answer your question, though, what do I know about Taiwan? Um, I like Thai food. I'm a big fan of their curry specifically. That's my favorite types of curry. And I also know. And uh, what did you just say? Isn't it t- Thai? That's Thai stuff. Taiwan. No, no. it's not. No. 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 Well, shit, I don't know anything about Taiwan because I was about to start <laughs> talking about Thai lady boys. Because, like, even no, before, no, because no. even before, that's all uh, Thailand, baby. Thailand. Oh, that checks out. Yeah, Thailand. Okay. <laughs> totally I don't know anything about Taiwan. different country, Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right that it is. I, but every time I heard Thai, you know what's funny, though? Every time I've heard Thai before this, I'm pretty sure my brain went to Thailand. But when you just said, what do you know about Taiwan? My brain then just was like, this is what you know about Taiwan. But anyways, I was because I was going to say, like, even pre, you know, as a lot of people call it, the transgender fad or whatever, you know, Thai lady boys, that was like a big thing. And that's where a lot of American businessmen go to get jacked off at. But I guess that's Thailand, not Taiwan. 
It is. It's fun. You you actually did know as soon as I accidentally called him China, and I was like, "Oh, I shouldn't have said that." You were all over the reason yeah, why. I knew, you yeah, knew for that, sure. But but yeah. you thought that that was. You thought that Taiwan and Thailand, basically, that you in your head that was one place which had a a a, a, a what sovereignty disagreement with yes. China, and also was yes. known for curry and ladyboys. Dude, you and know how my brain works. In your head. you know how my brain works. Like I stopped listening after Thai. Like you said, Thai. Yeah. I didn't even hear one. I started thinking about yellow curry and potatoes, and and you know, uh, chicks with dicks, which you know hits over there, and like uh, which I'm I'm fan of for it. I didn't mean that as a pejorative, but like yeah, I don't even think I heard the last thing you said. Everybody's wondering what in God's name does any of this have to do with abortion? So about get, oh, yeah. no, <laughs> oh, not, no Thailand, no Thailand ain't part of this. In Taiwan, Taiwan. I found out, and they hey, got when we the, get drunk, we Taiwan on. on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, try, yeah, I was I was trying to also think of a like a like a Thailand uh, like a Mexican in Thailand is yeah, also Taiwan. Taiwan. You know, uh, yeah. anyway. So that's fun. But after it, after the donkey show, so he won't go nowhere, we have to Taiwan. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. So in Taiwan, and also I guess they, they originally got it from Japan. I don't know if Japan still does or whatever, but they've got a very interesting way of uh, shaming their women's. Um, oh, really, wow. Really innovated. Uh, and it's in the form of fetus ghosts, right? They They get... Okay. Haunt, they get haunted by fetus ghosts over there. I saw this in the dock. Yeah. And it said Chinese fetus ghost. And See, I swear that, to I shouldn't have put Chinese because this is Taiwan. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah. maybe you didn't. I, I don't know. No, I uh, definitely did. No, you I definitely did. did. I, yeah. Yeah, I right. saw Chinese fetus ghost. And I'm not kidding. Like in my, I was like, I'd forgot you were doing the whole learn about China and Asia thing. And like to me, that sounded like some sort of post grunge hardcore band i thought it does sound like that you're right but no it's much 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 more literal it's just that uh there's a, a superstition in taiwan that says that when a woman has an abortion the unborn fetus is released into the world as a yingling <laughs> which, okay. which which is a specific type of ghost it's a fetus ghost and the and this yingling spirit haunts the woman in different ways throughout the entire rest of her lifetime so if a woman over there is like, you know how like for a long time in the Western world and stuff, like if a woman, you know, just was in a horrific marriage and was having anxiety over it, they'd be like, she's yeah. hysterical, finger her, right? Like that yeah, whole yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was her favorite thing to do. Well, over there, I guess, you know, if a woman's having some issues, you know, mental issues or whatever, that type of anxiety or illnesses or whatnot, they oftentimes ask well has she had an abortion because that's probably just the the fetus the ghost. ghost yeah <laughs> oh the, fe the fetus ghost will you'll have that it'll do know? that yeah got, it'll do that to you yeah she she cries a lot fetus ghost which is it's like you know think shouldn't be that weird for well <laughs> but uh yeah and apparently if they're if they're like well no this woman's crying and she ain't never had an abortion they then go well, did her mama have an abortion, or did the grand her grandma have an oh, abortion? Oh, they can skip because a generation you know, because you know the fetus ghost sometimes just sticks around through the generations and just you know makes all of them makes every woman in that family tree feel like a you know 
in uh, my head, I'm picturing the quados from is it Total Recall? The quados, the <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm talking quados about? Just quados, just one character from Total Recall. You talk about the the two the little on mini the side, the, on the on side, the side of, of the belly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm thinking. Quado. Yeah, well, these are just like to me. They're, these are just mini quados that have been separated from the body that are walking around like. But also, like baby ghosts, not even baby ghosts, fetus ghosts, like different than baby. Fight uh -huh. me on it, but uh -huh. like fetus ghosts, like how the fuck? Because I feel like with a ghost, in order to like, you know, uh, I'm you know I'm reading a lot of uh, Charles Dickens lately, and and you know like Marley and and the ghost of like like Marley. The only way he was able to haunt Scrooge is because he knew like where to go. Like he'd been a person. He knows how to walk and stuff. And he like a fe how the fuck does this fetus yeah, have to know to float. haunt? Float. Right. They'd have to just, what like, unfinished business knocking, you know, those deck, those like uh, ornamental bowls off of shelves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, banging chopsticks against windows and slamming, <laughs> slamming wooden or paper cabinet doors and any other type of, you know, stereotype about what they got going on. And over so this there. Is, but yeah, it's like, uh, it's like, oh boy, at the end of, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, when yeah. it turns into the star child or whatever, right. it'd, be, it'd be like that, just floating around haunting shit. Uh, but you know, what's, what's his name? So, Frank. In the in the movie, the I'm just you just made me picture Dave, that. Rogue. It's Dave. Dave. It's Dave. Yeah, because I'm Dave. Well, you can't. Yeah, I, you I'm can't sorry. I can't do that. Do Dave. That Dave. Yeah. Right. So fucking creepy, man. Uh, but anyway, it's I, you know, it's just it's it's like, yeah, you make we make shit up to tell kids so they don't do it. And every culture has that. Like in fucking Russia, they like tell kids don't go out in the woods after dark. Baba Yaga will eat your ass right. or whatever, just because it's like right. dangerous in the woods after dark. It's like they're doing that with grown women over there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do they it's not like, have is, hell? This is just in, intended to, right, right. Because we just you don't need we to just, we just tell them you're going to hell. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> like that's you know what I'm saying? Like we don't have to go, we have our own other made up things. Cause like usually our like actually we I don't yeah, maybe they don't have hell. Maybe you know, I don't know what like, they're they, I don't know what they are. Maybe Shinto. Maybe I'm just guessing Confucian. Yeah, whatever. But yeah. I guess my point is, is like, we've got stupid shit like that over here, but it's normally, it's not in like the shame market. Like it's stupid old wives tales. Like, but Hey, don't, don't let a baby. All don't of let hell a baby. is a shame market. No, you know? no, no, no. I know hell I, I'm saying all of our, but our old wives tales, like things like that usually aren't for shame. Cause we just, we have hell for that. But like our old wives tales are like, you know, don't let the cat go in the nursery because they'll steal the baby's breath. You know, it's yeah. these like it's these things that supposedly help you out um, or like, you know, uh, don't. Uh, well, I mean, and they're, I don't know. I've never wondered why why that lie was, because basically every single one of them, I can start peeling the layers and go. I know why they said that one. like the don't swim 30 minutes after you eat is because parents didn't want to have to watch their kids in the pool after they had eaten. You know what I mean? So they just told them because that's when you're the least likely to cramp. You've got vitamins in your body. You know what I mean? That one was made up so the parents wouldn't have to watch them in the pool. I get that. But the baby one, or the baby's breath with the cat, I mean, all, all that is is just one time a baby was dead and there was a cat. And then... Yeah. Yes. Most likely so. So... They got the whole cottage industry over there on how to exercise these fetus ghosts. Um, it's like a religious, spiritual like an practice. exorcism. 
you got to do, yeah, it's like you got to undergo these rituals, um, uh, you know, and it's just like certain, what, prayers, incantations, whatever, light the right candles, do what, that type of shit, you know, just your just your general ghost ritual. Yeah, yeah, type yeah. Thing. But you got to do that uh, to hopefully get rid of the fetus ghost uh, or else, you know, you'll be uh, sad and weird forever um, because that's the effect of the fetus ghost. Buddhism, um, Taoism, and various folk religions. That's the Taiwan way. So Buddhist, I don't, and Buddhist and Taoist, I'm pretty sure that, yeah, they don't have hell. I know Buddhists don't have hell. Yeah, that's weird. The thing that the like the article that I found that's all about this, or whatever. I know they mentioned Confucianism uh, specifically. That was probably various uh, other. You know, I never thought of that as a religion. It's fun, of course, it is because like Confucius said, but like you know, obviously most of my. I don't know if they're priests. I don't know. I know. That, like you I know go those to a are service jokes. and they're like, you know, <laughs> the priest is up there like Confucius. Confucius say. Say. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think it, well, but I'm but I'm saying like it works like that. <laughs> I know, but I know Confucius's work mainly from the jokes that white people would tell, which were things that I don't know if you know this, Confucius actually never said. But I did know that Confucius was like a person, but I guess in my brain I so, thought he was I thought he was just like, you know, like a Mr. Miyagi type dude that just kind of said stuff that hit. So apparently it's a little complicated. Uh, according to National Geographic, it says Confucianism is an ancient Confucian. It, it can be a little Confucian because it's an ancient Chinese belief system which focuses on the importance of personal ethics and morality. Whether this is only a philosophy or also a religion is debated. So it's kind of just like a general you know, philosophy or way of life type thing over there. So I guess maybe you can, you can be down with Confucianism, but also be a Buddhist or something, you know, on top of it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Oh, here's a good one. Confucius say man who do business in whorehouse get jerked around. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me, when's the last time you watched? And I, the, the answer for me is a insanely long time ago, but I've been meaning lately to rewatch some, uh, Naked Gun, some Dude, Leslie Nielsen it, jams. It's, it's so funny you say that. Maybe they're promoing it somewhere, and we both saw it at the same time. But I too have been meaning to go back and watch Naked Guns because I haven't seen them since I was a kid. And Amber, I know why I was thinking of it. Amber had something got brought up about Airplane the other day, and Amber's never seen Airplane. And I was like, oh boy, oh goody, because I love when that. I used to like make fun of Amber whenever she hadn't seen something that I deem is like. This is a cultural touchstone. We're all supposed to have done this. But now I get excited because I know, like, great, I get to show it to her. But anyways, I started thinking about Leslie Nielsen, and I was talking to my dad about Airplane, and dad was telling me, and I don't know if you know this, he goes, do you know how fucking wild it was that Leslie Nielsen did that movie and the Naked Gun movies? Yeah. And I was like, no, why? And he goes, he goes, dude, when I was a kid, he was a right. purely dramatic actor. And in my brain, like, that didn't compute because I only know Naked Gun farting Leslie Nielsen. Right, but if you think about it, though, he kind of still acts that way even in those movies. That's yeah, part of what he makes plays it hit, straight. That's part of what makes it hit so hard. Is like yeah. he's saying this like completely ridiculous shit, but he does it in, in like a serious fashion. Yeah, I knew that he was like a. I don't think I've ever seen any of his early dramatic work, but I did know that he had a you know, a long career as just a straight yeah. up dramatic uh, leading man type. And then this was his like big turn. Um, well, it, I'm glad he did it. Hits. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, because he's got a line in one of those that's something about like a like a like a blind guy at a whorehouse. I was gonna have to feel my way around or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna have to feel it out. I don't know. That's not it. There's. Oh, is that why you brought up Naked Gun? Yeah, because you yeah, yeah, you right said on. a joke that made me think of one of those. Uh, ah, God, he 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 like. Uh, who are <laughs> there's a scene where he comes in, he's like, Who are you? How'd you get in here? And the guy <laughs> goes, I'm a locksmith, and I'm a locksmith, yeah, that type of shit, <laughs> yeah, uh, dude. Uh, yeah, just I was thinking, funny. We, we were talking about that movie, uh, the, all the naked gun ones, and I was trying to explain to because all Amber knows of OJ Simpson is that he was a football player that murdered, you know, his wife, and I was like, Amber, I if you think about it with like how how charismatic he was and how good he was in the naked gun movies and stuff i'm like he there's it's a possible that oj simpson could have went on to be one of the uh, like a really good comedic actor and in so many classics and also like be the announcer for Monday Night Football now. <laughs> and like i haven't again i haven't seen those movies in a while but i remember thinking like oj's really hitting here i mean dude I've said it before. I think it was, I remember if it was on here on well read or what, but like, or hell, maybe it was even skews. Maybe me and Mark were talking about OJ for some reason. Yeah, I why don't not? remember. I don't remember, but I've noticed because it's why it's a wild thing to notice. He's still charismatic. Like, <laughs> I've noticed before. Cause OJ got on Twitter and fucking yeah. posts his, it's so wild and hilarious. Everybody knows it because like he just gets on there and just does like takes about sports or yeah. politics and stuff. And it's funny because every now and then he'll dive into some true crime too, which is yeah. funny to me. Like yeah. he's like, it's like he's the murder correspondent for right. you know certain podcasts and stuff, or at least he should be. But anyway, he gets on there and he does this, he gives his takes on stuff. And you'll watch him out of like morbid curiosity, like this dude is just out here just being in public as fucking out as a notorious murderer or whatever. To him, he didn't do it though, so and why wouldn't he be? You watch it, you watch it, and you're like, God damn, he's pretty good, you know. Like, just spitting, like, yeah. Like, give you spitting right now, juice. The dude, juice is like, spitting. I'm I'm with you on this. I feel the exact same way about that particular running back or whatever. Like he's definitely got. Yes, I was he, about to say that he's like. When I watch, like, I used to watch him ironically, like you said, right. like, holy shit, look, here's OJ Simpson. But, like, I find myself like agreeing with and, him. <laughs> and, and also, I've kind of, like, I've kind of noticed that, like, I don't even think about him being a murderer when I see it anymore. Like, I'm just right. like, I'm just like, because me and OJ, at one point, we had some of the same fantasy players. And so I was yeah. like, really, I was like, yeah, I got, and OJ would, like, lay it out so good. And I was like, this motherfucker because he he is so charismatic and obviously knows the game of football. It's like all you had to do was not that, and you would be owning the NFL Network right now. I agree completely. But you just said you were like you were like well, but to him he didn't do anything wrong. But like, I mean, no. But right? what I'm saying I is mean, I know he, has, publicly, he has to he has act. to like right. He can't yes. like he. We all know that motherfucker did it, and he knows right. he did it. I mean, it, well, it, with CTE, it's possible he don't know that he did it. I don't know. Because, like, he was a hard-nosed running back back when the helmets were made of wood, you know, or nothing at all. Um, but I'm saying, like, he lives his life the way someone who says that they're not guilty should live their life. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Yes, that's true. What do you, what about his like boys, you think? Cause like he's definitely got people it shows him he goes out golfing and stuff all the yeah. time with like crews of guys and whatnot. Like 
where do you think they're at on all that? You think they have convinced themselves like, ah, he got railroaded. He didn't do it. Or do you think they're like, ah, you know, he probably did it, but like, he's my, he's my, he's my dude. He's always been good to me. You know? Well, dude, here's the thing, man. Here's the thing. And I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody truly knows what they would do until it happens. But I've mentioned several times, I love you more than almost anyone on earth. You are, you know, one of my best friends, if not my best friend. If the same shit happened to you and you got exonerated, like. We'd go golfing. Of course. Well, like, <laughs> yeah. we, we're friends. Like, you didn't fucking kill yeah. me. You know what I'm, I'm right. not saying? I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm not saying I wouldn't think of you differently. But, like, also, I've met Katie. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I'm kidding. Obviously, Katie. I'm just, But I'm just saying, like, if you got exonerated, first off, like, I would believe that you didn't do it. Like. I, right. I wouldn't believe that you did it. And like, I don't think it's dumb of people who are close friends for being blinded by shit like that, because I, I know you and I could never see you doing that. So like, I could not believe it. And dog, those people felt that way about OJ. You know what I'm saying? So like, right. I don't know, but at the same time, like a lot of them are probably just like, ah, shit, quit bringing up old stuff. You know what I mean? That was right. a long time ago. Plus it's not like they feel threatened. They're not a blonde lady or a waiter, you uh -huh. know? He clearly yeah. did it for one reason and one reason alone. He's not a serial killer. It was a crime of passion. Just don't get the juice riled up and you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. yeah. I bet they do every now and then. Like, you know what I mean? Like something will happen. Like they and, like, yeah. spill his drink onto his shoes or yeah. something like that. And everybody gets real tense all of a sudden. Like yeah. he's holding yeah. a golf club when that happens yeah. and every, the music just stops. Everybody stares at him for a second. He, like what, are, what if he's about to go into, you know, murder mode or something? He, he probably cheats a lot at golf too. And like right. everyone's just like, shit. Yeah, right. yeah. Somebody's going to be like, I'm pretty sure juice picked up his ball back there and it wasn't on the green and there's like yeah i think you know what just yeah. uh it's fine yeah well if you want to say something to him you go right ahead, go ahead. yeah go ahead he's over there cleaning his knife uh, yeah you know man that time that clip from the 90s when he was on that evening news show or whatever and then played the prank of coming yeah. into the to the anchor lady's dressing room with a knife doing the psycho sound like and fake yeah. stabbing her unhinged unhinged bro. my favorite <laughs> i think my favorite thing i think my favorite thing about that clip is actually like that one's obviously that's a really good payoff but i've watched it several times and now kind of my favorite part is the lead up to that when she's walking around with oj interviewing interviewing him and this woman comes up and goes oj simpson and she shakes his hand and she goes, I've never shaken hands with a murderer before. Oh, yeah. And and OJ just goes, hey, good to see you. Thank you. And then the yeah. interviewer goes, that doesn't bother you. And like, he just goes, no, of course not. Like, he, and just completely straightforward. He was like, hey, you know, whatever the fans want, I'd shake my hand. You know, it was, it, and it was like, man, he either really genuinely didn't do it. You know, because the theory my sister has is his son did it and he was covering for him. Yeah, I've heard and that. And then he got Johnny before. Cochran and luckily he got out. So, dude, either that's true and he really didn't do it and he's one of the most mentally healthy people on earth who is just like, hey, I, I've, you know, I got out, whatever. Or it's just he's the biggest psychopath that we've ever seen. Because, right. like, all of that, like, the way that if he did it, the way that he behaves now is kind of crazier than a man killing his wife. You right. know what I mean? We know plenty yeah. of people that have killed their wife, but they felt bad about it, and then they went to jail. But, like, it's nuts. But My great favorite. football analyst.
My favorite part of that, the clip where he pretends to stab the news anchor lady or whatever <laughs> at the end of it was, which is like, there's a part that she interviews him at first. There's the part Cho was talking about the lady on the street, whatever. Then it cuts. And then later that the, the journalist is in her, her dressing room. There's a knock on the door and it's OJ pretending to stab her. My favorite part is the part that's unseen entirely. It's the implication yeah. that, in the middle of those two things, OJ Simpson had to go find a knife in a like news studio, right? Which means he was asking, right? Exactly. And that's the funniest part is that like someone at some point, uh, OJ Simpson was like, Hey, can you get me a butcher knife? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they did it. Yeah, of course and, they did like, it. And that's so, it's just, that's, kills me thinking yeah, about because that you know <laughs> that's a great point because like they're like you said they're in a news station it's not like oj could have just right. found a butcher knife laying around like right it, it'd be one thing like i don't know like it'd be one thing if they were on set at food network but they weren't like someone had to that's so goddamn funny and true yeah and like, what yeah. was that person thinking? Like, you know how nervous they were? So nervous, dude. They're like, if he, <laughs> if he murders Joanne, <laughs> I'm going to be in serious are... trouble. <laughs> this internship is over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, hell. Well, let's talk about uh, big ass Orson Wales for a little bit. Uh, yeah, let's do it. We will be right back right after this, and I'm going to uh, talk to you all about Orson Welles, more specifically Orson Welles and the making of Citizen Kane. We'll be right back. Santa baby, the season for a fresh cut is finally here. With our sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. They're the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, and they're better at that than I am at singing. I promise you that. They've just launched their fifth-generation performance package to help you avoid another silent night in the bedroom this year. Take care of your special snowflake with the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra and watch your South Pole shine. Like never before, get the best stocking stuffer of all by going to manscaped.com and using the code POA for 20% off plus free shipping. Mrs. Claus will thank you. Uh, yeah, I can tell you that Mrs. Forrester uh, thanks them for sure because before Manscaped came into my life, I was a uh, three times a year trimmer down there because I didn't have anything that like didn't hurt and it was inconvenient, but now I'm always, you know, got the, 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 the hedges trimmed as it were. Plus, as y'all know, my favorite thing about them is the ball deodorant and the ball toner. I also love my beard trimmer that I don't have to put guards on it. I just, it's got a clicky thing. It's so much better for me. I love Manscaped. You'll love it too. Uh, Trey, tell them more about our friends at Manscaped. Manscaped is a one-stop shop for all your holiday needs. They have the perfect gift in the Performance Package 5.0 Ultra, which includes loads of perfect stocking stuffers. What could be better than giving the gift of good hygiene and a few laughs? Starting with the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, this is the crown jewel of the holidays, and dare we say it, the best ball trimmer of all time. The Electric Razor's advanced skin-safe technology is a lifesaver and known for reducing nicks and cuts on your dicks and butts. But the fun doesn't stop there. Anybody in the family got a little too much scruff? We'll look no further than Manscaped Beard Hedger Pro Kit and Handyman Electric Face Shaver for all his facial hair needs. Does your dad have nasty nose hairs? Save the day with the Weed Whacker 2.0 Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. Is there Boxer Game Week? Take care of those chestnuts with Manscaped's Boxers 2.0 featuring their signature jewel pouch. 
to keep you calm, cool, and collected. Have their nails seen better days? Manscaped has you covered there, too, with their new Shears 3.0 nail grooming kit. They got everything you need, y'all. So here's what you can do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code POA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code POA. Say ho, ho, ho to a well-groomed mistletoe with Manscaped. Skew. 27, 37. All righto. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> well, let's do it. Orson Welles, I mean, you know, I know some stuff about Orson Welles, but specifically the making of Citizen Kane, you know, I don't, I bet some of this shit you're going to say will be, I'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard that, but I don't know. Of course. Is that the, I know you just watched Mank, right? Yeah, I've, I've still got 25 minutes left in it because well, uh, I have four a and a half hours long or whatever, yeah. uh, but I, it movie did hit for me. Yeah, yeah I, Mank, I was loving it. Mank, is that's the script that he's writing in that movie? Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I thought. Herman Mankiewicz, yeah. Yeah, and so I know the script was, like, massive, and it was this, like, huge undertaking, yada, yada, and all this shit. And, I mean, obviously, I've seen Citizen Kane, and so, yeah, you know, I probably know about as much as any average person knows about it. I don't know the behind-the-scenes stuff, though. I know he come from, like, theater and radio and wild shit and, you know, brought some of that, brought some of those people and some of those tactics and whatnot to, to this undertaking and, you know, changed the game, as they say. And then years later, got horrendously, hilariously fat and drunk, yep. uh, which yep. we have covered on the show before. One of the very earliest episodes, we watched uh, the famous clip of Orson Welles being hammered, trying to talk about wine. Um, so one of my all-time favorites. That's about it. Yeah, I, I really want to – I was thinking the other day of, like, I want to just – I want to do a remake of that, but as me playing Orson Welles, and I want to use it as, like, uh, one of my reels in my EPK. You know what I uh -huh. mean? Like, that's my yeah. monologue or whatever. Just, uh, like, yeah, straight up, shot for shot? or you? Yeah, you, the whole – yeah, shot for shot. All like of just, it. You just – like, you're just going to imitate Orson yep. Welles. You're just going to do the thing. Do okay. the whole thing. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. imitate him fucking up. That's what I'm going to do. You know, yeah. have the bottle, and I'm going to – I'm going to like set the scene and make it look exactly like that. I'm going to shoot it in grainy old footage. Like I just want to do it. I'll gain 50 pounds, you know, really just, I know that'll hit for you. Just really get into it. But yeah, I, so I saw, I started to watch Mank. Like I said, I got 20 minutes left. But that's only because I got a baby. And as I'm watching this movie and I'm seeing all these things, I'm like, God damn, was that really, you know, how it was, but like not wanting to just go off of a Hollywood movie. I then of course did my, uh, you know, research and it confirmed a lot of what was in that movie is like, God damn, that really was what was going on. I wanted to start um, with, as you mentioned, uh, yes, we're, we're primarily going to be talking about just Orson Welles and the Citizen Kane, but he did come from a theater background and really most of what he'd done was directing plays and also radio. But as w I think everybody knows, the radio program that really launched him, yeah. which was the War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, yeah. And, uh, you know, this I, I don't have to spend too much time on this because everybody knows it, but the War of the Worlds was he he performed the H.G. Wells uh, book on air, and there were people who came in during the middle of it because it's not a podcast, it's radio, and you can't go back. 
there were people who came into the middle of it who did not get the context of this is a dramatization and it was so well produced and well done that people genuinely believed oh my god aliens have come to earth and we are fucked um right. now there were there there've been rumors that I've heard my whole life of like oh yeah and the military was mobilized <laughs> and all this shit that none of that apparently happened but like it is true that it was mass hysteria especially in like middle america of people yeah. just like where what everybody's dumb is- yeah. yeah where all the dumbasses are <laughs> yeah right. yeah no, everybody in the blue states had read hg wells yeah right yeah uh so that reminds me i don't know if i've ever told you this you know my uh my poor old dumbass high school girlfriend, who I've told multiple stories Bag of shit about. Ever? Yeah, right. Yeah, the one that, you know, uh, thought Hitler succeeded. And you know, yeah, right. that, that didn't hit for her, just everybody knows, but she just thought that he did. Yeah, right. Which is a pretty crazy thing to get wrong. Two other things. I just thought of a second thing. You just reminded me of I had a bunch of DVDs where I was a big movie guy, and I, I think it was. It might have been on Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake written by James Gunn, except I don't know if that movie was out yet. So it might I didn't have know been. James Gunn wrote that. He did. I've heard, though, that he has not, like, disowned it, but that he has been, like, just so y'all know, Snyder made a whole bunch of changes to my script, right. so I don't really. But, like, also, that movie super hits. So either yeah. way, whatever. Yeah, I mean, not... it's why Snyder got a lot of shit. It is. And so, like, we people should blame James Gunn a little more, you know? I right. feel like for <laughs> yeah. uh, loosing Snyder up. I like Zack Snyder, but, you know, I mean, he's... He's he's, uh, he's something else. He is something else, yes. But uh, anyway, it was it might have been that movie or an earlier zombie movie, like maybe Land of the Dead or something, I don't know. But on the DVD, they had this DVD extra. I think it was just a deleted <laughs> scene or something. But basically what it was was like... It was a news report. I think like mm-hmm. in the movie you saw clips of the news report of the of the people on the news talking about the zombie apocalypse happening as it broke out or whatnot. And on the DVD extras, you could access the whole the whole news report. Like it was right. just a, a DVD extra. You could just play the news report. So I knew Amber was coming over, right? So I put that in. And push play when she was supposed to get there. And she shows up and she's like, what's going on? I was like, I'm just watching the news, you know, and I'm like fixing a drink or something. She sits on the couch or whatnot. And it's this fake news report about an ongoing zombie apocalypse, people (laughs) eating each other in the streets and stuff in the cities and whatnot. And she was like, oh, my God. You know, like she was like freaking out by it, freaked out by it because she thought it was actually real. Uh, until I told her that it wasn't. It's fun. It's sort of fun having a real, real dumb girlfriend sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Thing, oh, I know. I, I the know. other thing I did. <laughs> Try marrying them. Yeah. The other thing I did to her once was uh, we were like, we were like just, you know, chilling in my bedroom or something. And she was like, tell me a story, Trey. Right. Just like, and of course, you know, so immediately I'm like, fuck. God damn it. <laughs> you know, yeah. What, like, well, what the fuck? No. But, you know, I'm 18 or whatever. So I was like, okay. So once upon a time. <laughs> and I just did like, like plot point by plot point. I just told her the story of the blockbuster film Armageddon starring yeah. Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like just, it, but you know, I was like, so, you know, like once upon a time, there was an asteroid on the way to the earth and they got this team of oil drillers and taught them how to whatever, <laughs> like this whole thing. One of them was married to the guy's daughter and it was, and she was enraptured dude, yeah, the whole time, the whole time. And when I got done, she was like, that was incredible. Yeah. She was, she was like, 
she was like you should you should like make a movie out of that or something and i was like yeah somebody should you're right <laughs> but that's uh, oh so you never gave away the game i think i i'm sure i probably did eventually yeah and I, there, there was probably other moments like that in our relationship too but those were some that come to mind so hey, anyway while we're here or some whales I'll probably, it's funny, I just now remembered this. This will probably never come up again. So, uh, free plug for me. I was actually in a remake of uh, The War of the Worlds that was directed by Matthew Cook. Uh, this took place in the pandemic. And uh, it, you know, I get to say I was in a movie uh, with Martin Starr, uh, Mark Ruffalo, Deborah Messing, and then there's me. So, you can. You can check that out. Uh, we did like an updated version of uh, War of the Worlds, sort of uh, about the COVID. It was not well received. Uh, what are but you I talking thought, about? You didn't know Martin, I did this? No. Yeah, me, Mark Ruffalo, Martin Starr, Deborah Messing, a couple of the dudes from The Sopranos. Uh, who else was in this shit? Um, let's see. Oh, Walter Masterson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Lilo Brancato. Uh, what? 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 Okay, what? You didn't know about this? No. Yeah, we shot it during the pandemic. Um, so, like, it was all self-tapes, you know? So, basically, th that they it was like War of the Worlds, but all the footage was coming from people on their phones and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it's, I get, I don't have, like, I'm pretty sure there was a scene with me and Mark Ruffalo we were supposed to be in together, but obviously we were never in the scene together because it was the pandemic and we all had to shoot everything ourselves. I think I vaguely remember you talking yeah. about shooting something, having to shoot stuff yourself at yeah. home. Yeah. For, I didn't wait, know wait, Mark it, Ruff, I didn't know Mark called, Ruffalo and Deborah Messing were in it until after I was done. <laughs> and it's called War of the Worlds? The War of the Worlds, yeah, 2021. Uh sure shit. Yeah. All right. Uh Sorry, I'm just, just sort of blown away. Anyway, go, go ahead, okay. talk. And anyways, uh, so I just never, I didn't think that would ever come up again. So I just wanted to uh, plug plug myself there. Anyways, that's how he, you know, this War of the Worlds things happen. This broadcast, it captivates everybody. It was obviously Buddy, so sorry, well. You, you ain't ever lie about. <laughs> you it said it was well not received. well received. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah that's <laughs> also it's like it says it's it's a short. It's eight it's minutes a short. long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it was not. Seems like it did not hit for people. How did he even fit this many people into an eight-minute thing? Good Lord, this is crazy. And, you know, a lot of it was just quick cuts of, like, I'm pretty sure my scene was 45 seconds long, which is actually pretty long in an eight-minute movie. Uh, and it was, like, I was uh, basically, like, in this world, there was, I think it was that, there was like COVID was creating zombies and I of course played a COVID denier type person. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it was all quick cuts and stuff. Steven Weber's in it. He played the news guy, but yeah, not well received, but uh, I love Matthew. And uh, you know, it was just cause there was a bunch of people who hated hearing the truth and they just bombed it, you know? Sure. Yeah, um, have that. So, so anyways, war of the worlds is what gets Hollywood interested in Orson Welles because they're like, this was insane. Like he pulled off a, a wonderful thing. He's, I think at the time of war of the worlds, he's 24 years old. So like young as shit. Now I want to start all of this. Um, I'm going to do this a little nonlinear because that's the way that uh, citizen Kane was shot, which was like the first movie of its kind to do that, which is one of the reasons that it was groundbreaking. I want to start this by, uh, 
talking about an interview that Orson Welles did on the Dick Cavett show. Now, I don't want us to get flagged for showing stuff, so I'm just going to read a couple of these quotes. Dick Cavett, uh, he is talking to Orson Welles, and he said, uh, I've always wanted to know the answer to this. So you were 26 years old, and you wanted to make Citizen Kane. And they said, you can't do these things. You can't have the background in focus. You can't shoot a scene that way, Mr. Wells or young Mr. Wells or whatever it is they called you then. But you knew that you could. How did you know this? That was Dick Cavett. Orson responds, because I didn't know any better. It's very much in line of what Jack was saying earlier in the show. It comes from just, you know, sheer dumbness. You're sure it's going to be good because you're great. It's just ignorance, and there's no authority in the world like it. Dick Cavett responds, but there's got to be something more than that, technically. Orson says, well, you know that technically the whole bag of movies can be learned in about a day and a half. I kid you not. And it goes, well, how did you do that? Hey, he goes, well, how do you do that? Orson goes, you just ask a guy who knows and he'll tell you. And then that's the end of it. It isn't much harder than taking home movies. It's just about three points harder. But all of these guys who do it try to make a big mystery of it because that's their living. And I have the right to say it because on my first picture, I had the greatest cameraman who ever lived lived. He was Greg Tolan. He came to my office and said, I want to work on your picture. My name is Tolan. I said, why do you, Mr. Tolan? And he said, because you've never made a picture and you don't know what cannot be done. And I said, but I really don't. Can you tell me? And so he gave me the day and a half lesson. And there it was. Nothing breeds confidence like ignorance. Orson Welles. I bring all that to say this. All of the groundbreaking shit that he did in Citizen Kane, Per Orson Welles, the only reason that he pulled it off is because he literally didn't know that you weren't supposed to do none of that shit. You know what I'm right. saying? Which is an amazing life lesson, I think. Yeah, I I don't know. Don't you? Aren't you a little skeptical about some of that? Because like, not meaning, really. Because think of how Orson Welles' ego not watch, is. I know how his ego be, but like, was he not watching? the offerings of the day, you know? Yes, but that's the point. None of them were like this is what know, I'm saying. That, that's my point. But I, I'm right. saying unless he was one of these types, which these people do exist and they blow me away. I'll never understand them, but they are out there. These like creative types who hit at whatever they do, but they don't consume the thing that they do. Like people like filmmakers that don't watch movies or comedians right. who don't watch comedy and stuff like that makes no sense to me, but it's a thing. I'm saying, unless he was like that, if he was anything like Tarantino or whatever, which is how most of them are, i.e. a voracious consumer of right. fil film before he ever got the opportunity to make one, I don't know how he could not have known that. Well, this stuff, I think that you know what I mean? if he's seen other movies, and he knew what he knew what they did in those movies. So he had to know when he was like, I want to do this. Right. That it wasn't a thing that people did. He but had he's to. Know but he'd that. never been behind the camera like he'd never directed anything. So I guess like what happened was he he would have an idea for something. and He'd be like, oh, what if we just put the camera and did it like this? And right. like normal, right. like normal people would have said, hey, no, you, you can't do that. But luckily he was with who he said was the greatest cameraman of all time, who like I guess he'd never been asked to do any of these things because all directors are like, no, we do this. We do this. We do this. So Orson would just request something. And dude would be like, all right, let's try it. 
And it turns out you can do that. And they changed the fucking world. You know what I mean? So I do get what you're saying a little bit, but like, I don't know, just tiny like, things. Meaning, like, all I mean is like, he just had to be, I get, I get the whole idea of like, hey, what if we did this? And most people would be like, you can't do that. That's crazy. Right. This man's, this man's off his rocker over here. Yeah, right. You know, uh, I get that. And that he had people around him that didn't do that. And that's how they led to stuff hitting. But what I'm saying is, in the moment when he says, what if we could do this? I don't believe that he's not inside of his own head going, because that would be cool, because that right. ain't a thing that people usually do. Right. You know what I mean? Like this, right. that yeah. would be different. That, like, And that's why I want to do this in the first place. And, I agree with you. But at the same time, I go to Orson's words here and knowing that he's never been shy about jerking about himself humility. off. I know. Right. You know what that's, I mean? Well, that's like, what I was going to say. It's like, that's, it, I was going to say. That's if the he, reason he was, I believe it. If he wasn't the way he is, I would think like, oh, yeah. that's just him being like, that's some kind of like you know, false humility or something. Right, but he's be, not. like, oh, no, I'm just an old dumbass. I'm just an old right. piece but of coal. He's but any he's other not that inst guy. Any other right. instance, he's never so, been like that. And you got to understand, this is on the Dick Cavett show. Like, this was a very popular show. Like, I don't think that he would try to make himself seem less, you know, brilliant than he is, unless that was just the straight-up fucking truth. Unless, like, there's a part of him that is going like, this actually makes me seem more brilliant. Because right. even, in, even in my ignorance, well, I, I know, hit harder than everybody else who does this all the time. That's part right. I was thinking. Also, it's like the other way. He also is sort of like he's kind of throwing shade on a lot of the traditional, you know, true uh, filmmakers and stuff of the time by kind of being like, it's fucking easy it's and not, dumb right. and you whatever. It's like, they, they just thought they couldn't do it for no good reason. And fucking, you know, whatever, like, yeah, people, by anyway. the way, like, like other Hollywood. And, and when he's saying this to Dick Cavett, he's already the Orson Welles that we know him as, you know, today. But like when he's 24 and 26, when he's working on this and he's like, you know, everybody's calling him the Wunderkind and all that stuff. Like they did not like him, like out in Hollywood, like all the actual Hollywood types, I mean, the the people at RKO loved him because they were like, this guy's fucking brilliant. He's going to make us a lot of money. And I'll get into his contract here in a little bit. But like, yeah, all the directors and producers stuff was like this fucking kid, like he's he's going about it. And it, it like, I don't know if he's giving the game away or he's just trying to make it out to what we do isn't difficult. And like that don't hit and fuck him, you know, but like here's a couple ways in which uh, the movie was revolutionary. So he wanted to do these lower shots like he kept saying he's like i really want this to be shot up like this and again not knowing like well we don't really have a setup in order to do that his cameraman's like all right give me time to set up and i got it so they just went and sawed holes in the floor so mm -hmm. that they could put the cameras down in there and the reason that he wanted these lower shots and this is where it's like really revolutionary and this is definitely like okay, this isn't ignorance. This is you having a vision. Like he was doing, he wanted the lower shots for when the characters were experiencing negativity, like when things were going bad. Whereas when like, when, like when he loses the election, there are all these low shots that are supposed to show him at his lowest. But when he's like on the campaign trail and hitting and putting out his papers, they do these high angle shots that make him seem like way more powerful and stuff. And before this, like no one was really using the camera as a tool to goad the audience into an emotion. You know what I mean? It was very much just point shoot. Like it's just we just set the camera on a tripod and there you fucking go.
Right. Um, do you know why he why he picked the subject matter of Citizen Kane? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and and I will I will get into that whole thing here in a minute. Yeah, I'll right. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, because that whole story is that's really kind of the story here. Um, okay. Sweet. Another way in which it was overlapping. The, or no other way was rev revolutionary. He has overlapping dialogue in this movie, and he was getting so much pushback on that in the script when they were shooting it because they were like, "Hey, these people are they're fucking talking over each other and stuff." And he's like, "It's they deliver their line, they deliver their line." And Orson's like, "No, that's how plays are done." And he's like, mm -hmm. "And I'm not doing a play." But again, every movie back then before this was shot like a play. Like there's right. a set. The camera's here. You deliver your lines. All those actors came from plays. And Orson was a like a noted director of plays. But like to him, he's like, I'm not this is a different medium. I'm not just going to do the same thing and us film it like he, and he kept telling me, he's like, dude, people don't take turns talking like people fucking talk over each other. That's just that's just how it goes. And they let him get away with it. And therefore, his movie is way more realistic. Um, he also played with focus a lot and some more pushback he got was like, he sometimes wanted the background to be in focus instead of the foreground. And mm. they were like, no, 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 the person in front, they're the one in focus. And he goes, no, I, because the thing happening in the background is the thing I want the audience to focus on. It's true that he's talking, but I'd need them to know that this person is walking over there or whatever. So we're going to shoot it like this. And they were like, well, no, we would cut to these. Like, I fuck you. We're doing this. We're focusing like this. He, he also like, you know, they invented several dolly shots for this, like the whole, you know, uh, bringing the camera in yep. while zooming out and yep. stuff like yep. that. And I said, I mentioned earlier, the movie was nonlinear. They, and Mank wrote this script this way and it was all over the fucking place. And they were like, you can't, you got to have a movie that starts at the beginning. And he's like, you don't understand what I'm doing here. It's like, just read the whole goddamn thing. It's like a donut. It'll get back around, you know, don't, don't worry about it. Um, and obviously it worked. And that was mind blowing to a lot of people, like having flashbacks and having these whole, like using these narrative devices, like newspaper headlines sort of giving away like uh, the passage of time and stuff like this had never really been done before and uh, i actually don't have an explanation for how this was done it, it just popped back into my head of the thing that always gets me in that movie is do you remember that scene where the camera literally goes through a neon sign yeah like it goes into the bar and it's a continuous shot or whatever uh -huh. i, I uh -huh. didn't get this in my current research but i remember hearing at one point that like the nobody could figure out how the fuck they did that and it took the rest of hollywood like 30 years before they go oh you do this and I, by the way i don't even know what this is but like that's how ahead of the game this shit is is like I, he makes this in the 50s or 60s or whatever and there's people in the 80s that are just going oh Ooh. right hang on uh, when, hold on, I was just about to ask you when it did come out, and also, it, this is about to be sort of point, so this came was 1941. 1941, so my bad, 1941, my bad. And anyway, I know that there's a, I don't even want to say this, because I have no idea how yeah, to find I it. I saw, I saw it on Reddit or whatever, uh, there's a, there's a famous shot from an old-timey movie, but I think it, it was after Citizen Kane, but it was from this same era-ish like black and like golden era hollywood or at least that's how it looks and it's black that and white witch. it's a tracking shot through uh it's sort of like the shot in goodfellas you know yeah it through like a restaurant like a nightclub yeah. but 
it's from like a real old timey movie forever ago. And it's fucking wild. I'm only bringing that up because you made me think of it talking about right. this shot here. But anyway, um, so I don't know exactly when that movie came out or even what it was, but I know it was pretty old timey. So there was some people trying some shit. Uh, yeah, for sure. Then. But I, but I would, you know, if I had to guess also, did it, some of the stuff that like Buster Keaton and them motherfuckers pulled off pretty wild. Yeah, it, oh no, no, no. You I, know, Trust me, I'm not suggesting that before Citizen Kane there was not any good shit. Like that would yeah. be that would be they insane doing, to say. They were doing some movie magic because, out dude, there now. yes, bro. Because like, dude, here. the stuff the stuff Charlie Chaplin was doing in like right. how they would um oh, what's it called uh when you screw up the depth perception force to perspective uh, force perspective the force perspective and we're talking about fucking comedy movies, dude like comedy movies who were like right. doing all this forced perspective and stuff the what now by the way the way that they they pulled a lot of that buster keaton shit off is that they just did it buster keaton just fell off of yeah. a house you True. know what i mean like yes. he would just and so it's pretty easy to get the shot when buster keaton's like just drop the barn on my fucking head yeah no for sure i mean that's true oh no dude i found it and i was wrong it's actually older Can you play it yeah I, yeah i will this is from 1927. Okay. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, and it's not, I, I mean, whatever. Let me just see if I can get this pulled up here right, right, right quick. Right quick. Tell me if you can see my screen when you can see I it. Can. From a movie called Wings in 1927. Okay. Oh, Wow. Yeah. How the if fuck did they do that? If you're only listening, it's a it's a tracking shot through a nightclub type thing. Over like these tables, about. and the yeah. camera is at face height with the people sitting there. So it's not like, oh well, they're going over, so they just had the camera on a wire, and that that's it. So yeah, that's the whole thing. It's not as crazy as I remember it being, but considering it's older than I thought it was, considering that actually, the time, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, considering the time, and actually, that, years before Citizen Kane whatever wow. that movie was yeah well okay I'm, I'm glad that we kind of brought this up and you said like considering the time because i actually really wanted to ask you before we even got started do you consider citizen kane the greatest movie of all time and if not what do you consider the greatest movie of all time uh because i think considering I the context is right. important for citizen kane yeah yeah for sure yeah it's just one of those things it's real hard to and like okay like for me personally, no, definitely not. I saw. No, it when put I your was... critic hat on. Put your critic hat on. Like you're just trying to be objective. Yeah, considering what it is and what it accomplished and all that stuff. I mean, and the fact yeah, that it still holds it's, up. It's definitely up there. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I I think that the my only argument would be like I've always said that oh yeah, Citizen Kane's the greatest. Like even if you don't like it, you just have to understand the context of what they were going for. You have to especially like hey, watch five other movies that came out that year and then compare it to this and tell me that that's not insane. Right. But I got to I got to tell yeah. you it was in going later up against years, like uh fucking, you know, the boogie woogie bugle boy from Company B and shit like that was the yeah, that was Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah Predece fucking, predecessors to Beach Blanket Bingo and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, right. Laurel and Hardy stuff, which you know, yeah. 
which is great Laurel stuff. And Hardy, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, don't get me wrong, um, but and it's still pretty different. <laughs> it's very different. Yeah, and and I always would say like, well, with all that context and the way that they were able to pull it off, like, yeah, it's the greatest movie of all time. Is it my favorite? Absolutely not. You know, I like Casablanca more, and I would I, if somebody said Casablanca was the greatest movie of all time, I would never argue with them. It's awesome. It still holds up. I personally, though, my father. Yeah. Godfather's great. I, there's right. a movie though, that I genuinely like more than the Godfather. And I think it's better. And, uh, what I now think is the greatest movie of all time, because in my opinion, you really don't even need the whole, you have to understand when it was made, you have to blah, blah, blah. It's uh singing in the rain. And I dare anybody to watch it and tell me I'm wrong. Like, and by the way, that's not just me. There are plenty of critics that are like, I think that might be the best movie ever made, but like, because like I don't but with Citizen Kane, if I was showing it to someone, I'd go, you have to understand that they couldn't do things like this back then. And that's why it's great with singing in the rain. I don't think I have to do any of that shit because like it's just a banger from start to finish. But so what do you what you did you say? Goodfellas, that's yours. No, I, well, I said The Godfather. Godfather, but I mean, Goodfellas, yeah. Goodfellas up there, too. And just in terms of like movies that are often considered among the best, that also super duper hit for me. There's a movie called, I think it's called The Bicycle Thief, which a lot of people bring yeah. up as being one of, the, right? one of the greatest movies of all. Maybe not then, because uh, it's like an Italian thing. I could thing. be wrong. Uh, but anyway, and I've never seen that. Um, so, I don't know. Man, I don't know. There's a bicycle thief movie from 19. Yeah, that's 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 it. I think because it's a it's an Italian movie from 1948. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I know that a lot of times people put it up there as like one of the greatest movies ever made and all this stuff. And if they're trying to be maybe a little bit contrarian for yeah. me, uh, I don't know. Just off the top of my head, uh, fucking. Godfather and Godfather Two, uh, Apocalypse Now, John Carpenter's The Thing is, yeah, uh, is a super awesome movie. Uh, uh, Pulp Fiction because I have Tarantino oh, yeah. on there, and I'm trying to figure out. I don't. What's know. funny I, I, though is I agree with you that that's his greatest movie, but it's not my favorite of his. Not me neither. My personal <laughs> favorite of his is Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, uh, I, me I too. Really, well, for me, I've always thought that's at least partially because. My dad was a huge Tarantino guy, obviously. It's World War Two. That was the last that was the last movie I ever saw with my dad in a movie theater was Inglorious yeah. Bastards. So also like, it just always, bangs, dude. It's oh, like it rules. Christoph Waltz saying, like, gives I don't think it can ever be unseated for me if you know for that reason. It's my personal yeah. favorite. But I do think yeah. Pulp Fiction is his most like it's his masterpiece, his I guess. Mas- right, yeah. Because like, because he was doing things that nobody was doing then. Right. It's before yeah, he, like, exactly. Glorious Bastards, he's already rewritten the rules. Pulp Fiction, he just got the notebook out to do it. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, anyways, uh, yeah. you know, Citizen Kane is highly regarded on that list. I personally agree with it. But, you know, the making of the movie was uh, insane. And I wanted to talk about... Uh, first, the the contract that he gets that is going to sound insane even to you right now. Remember, he's never done a movie. He did War of the Worlds, and he directed some stage plays. That's it. Uh, RKO Pictures, the George Schaefer, he's the president. They hear War of the Worlds. They're like, we've got to get this guy out to Hollywood. They offer him a two-picture deal with RKO to write, produce, direct, edit and star in two movies of his choosing anything that he wants and also he gets final cut of the movie Mm -hmm. so like 
for a lot of people listening, you might not understand how insane that is, but like that's fucking bonkers. It's bonkers to give that to a, an esteemed director now yeah. like like you know nolan will get it or whatever but like that's not something that everybody just gets and he's never done a goddamn thing right yeah no that's insane i thought is the money coming up at some point because i thought the you're just we're just illustrating how wild it is that he got all these uh um what, what what's the word provisions provisions yeah actually you know what i do have the how much they gave him but it's i was expecting in- i was expecting that little diatribe you're on to end with an amount you know, that's why i didn't automatically respond because i thought you're gonna it's be funny like, it's funny because like i know that it was in my research or whatever but like i just i've never been a person that gave too much of a shit about like that like to me all of this is more impressive than any amount of money that they're giving him but it had well, to it be, only be interesting because of the time frame because it's one of those yeah, things i know where the movie like, costs eight hundred thousand dollars to make i know like that. that right like in that but the, in 1940 you know it's a shitload of money and it's that's a shitload was, of money um because yeah because they've been golden age hollywood deals man it's weird they both were like a lot of the talent they were like fucking chattel <laughs> in a lot of ways right. but but they also got some insane contracts and deals and, and money and stuff, you know, uh, at the same time, just the type of shit that just like, just don't happen anymore. Um, yeah, I in mean, either I, regard. I'll get to it later, but Mank in his contract, which again, I'll talk about all about that later. He was getting a thousand dollars a week to write. That's a fuck ton of money in 1940. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a shit ton. And this is for a writer. You know, uh, yeah. we all know that that is not garbage. the deal anymore. That is not the deal anymore. Oh, I think they were garbage even then, the writers. So I'm saying, yeah. like, I'm saying he as a writer was making that much money. Yeah, for people that don't know, writers are like the very bottom of the totem pole in the movie world. The in, guild, the TV, in the TV world, it's very different. But in the movie world, right. nobody's really lower than a writer, which is so wild and weird and hilarious considering. Right what movies are and how right. they originate i.e in the form of a screenplay, screenplay written yeah. by a writer but yeah still uh that's just how it works writers get banned from sets of their own movies and shit all the time um yeah so. i mean back then like if you wrote a movie by the time you passed it off to when the movie came out it could be Done. completely different but, and what back then that still happens all the fucking time Oh, all yeah. the time that happens because directors have all the power to do that if they want to. Back then, I think it was more like studio executives and directors. Nowadays, well, I guess it's still studio executives and directors, but it ain't writers. You sell a script right. and then they can do whatever the fuck they want with scary. your script. It's scary. It's super scary, dude. It's they scary. Put a movie that like, has what if your it name sucks? on it that has yeah. nothing that's awful, awful. Yeah. And it says written by Trey Crowder or whatever up there. Right. And it has bears no resemblance to the script that I turned in and I can't do anything about it. Like, right. That's the only instance. Wild. That's the only instance that it kind of hits when nobody gives a shit who wrote the movie is that like when it's a stinker, people usually go that director sucks or that actor sucks. You know what I'm saying? But like, yeah, yeah your, your name's attached to it and people in the biz know, but whatever. Um, so when he's, he's coming up with this movie, he knew that he wanted to do one of these like sweeping quasi biopic type things like satirizing a person or like basing something on somebody. And he wanted before he landed on William Randolph Hearst, which is uh, eventually who Charles Foster Kane became, he wanted to do the same thing uh, with Howard Hughes, but he was eventually talked into let's do it about William Randolph Hearst. And that is because of Herman J. Mankiewicz. And for those of you that do not know, William Randolph Hearst was 
the most powerful man in the country, like without question, like more powerful than the president because he owned every single paper. And if William Randolph Hearst wanted it to happen or wanted it, people to believe it happened. Right. It did like, that's just, and he was also a huge friend to the movie producers and stuff. And like that comes up later, he can bury your movie. Yeah, I mean, he was the Rupert Murdoch of yes. the day when that was yes. still kind of a new a new thing to be. But yeah, immensely powerful. He invented yellow journalism, didn't he? Yes, Basically. he did. The t- and yeah, he right. was a, yeah, huge fan of that. Burnt uh, a lot of people's whole lives and careers and everything on a whim and made right. a shitload of money doing it too. So yeah. He sure did. And, and this is where we're going to get to the Herman J. Mankiewicz or Mank part of the uh, story, because I didn't know this until the movie. And I, in the movie, I was like, ah, maybe this was for dramatization. But it was actually true. Um, Mank had been like pretty good friends with William Randolph Hearst. Uh, more so, he was really good friends with Randolph Hearst's girl, Marion Davies, who Mank had written like several movies that she was acting in and they were just buddy, buddy. And like, he got to be buddies with William Randolph Hearst and he was just kind of sort of in his circle. Uh, William Randolph Hearst really liked, he liked keeping him around for the same reason that he would end up hating him, which was like, Mank was just super witty. He was really good at telling stories at parties. And like, he didn't, he wasn't like a yes man to William Randolph Hearst. Like he would sort of, you know, take jabs at him and shit. Uh, mainly because, like, w- you know, William Randolph Hearst is like one of the biggest capitalists of all time, and Mank was sort of a hush hush socialist, uh, you know. So he's always at the parties there at William Randolph Hearst's house, which was called uh, San Simeon. This would be the inspiration for Xanadu in the movie. So uh, Mank had actually worked with uh, Orson Welles on some radio scripts, and they had a relationship. Uh, Mank used to be a drama critic. He was like one of those super opinionated, pretentious dudes, but he was just really, really talented. And uh, he had been fired from MGM right before this because he was gambling a shit ton and he just owed everybody at MGM movies or owed him money. So they like fired him. And it was like actually an odd pairing for them two to get together because per most people in the industry, like Mank was considered washed up and drunk and like don't hit anymore at this point and orson wells is like this fucking wunderkind but like wells really loved the way that mank wrote dialogue so he's like i gotta have this dude yeah well pays to hit game recognized game and all that stuff as they say you know also i feel like it makes sense to pair a wunderkind with a with an old head you know what i mean it's a good no i agree I agree 100%. Um, Mainly, though, this is because Orson had every intention of just writing the whole movie himself, and he basically basically just wanted Mank to punch his shit up and, like, hey, make because apparently Mank was just really good at, like, coming up with just one line that was like, God damn, who the fuck thinks to say that, you know? Um, when, when Mank ends up writing Citizen Kane, he was actually convalescing with a broken leg, just like in the movie. And, uh, but I don't think they mentioned in the movie that like, he'd actually broken his leg before and he, it got healed. And when it healed, he was like, fuck yeah. So he celebrated by going out on the town drinking and he fell down and broke his fucking leg again. Mm, Um, so you'll have that. You will have that. But Orson said earlier, Orson really wanted to write the movie by himself, but that wasn't just like an ego thing. Um, it was he. So like he sort of felt like in his contract, they were saying, Orson, all this has to come from you. And if there's a co-writer on this, 
uh, you're you're in breach of contract because we're hiring the Vunderkind. We're not hiring anybody else, right? Um, and so, anyways, they're bank. They're kind of batting back, like, what should this movie be? He brings up the Howard Hughes thing, and Mank's like, "Oh, fuck that! Let's not do Howard Hughes." I know William Randolph Hearst. I fucking hate him. So let me write this uh, about him. And so Orson gave him like 300 pages of notes of like, this is what I want the movie to be. And Mank's like, all right, I'm going to make it William Randolph Hearst. But like I said, you know, Orson's like, okay, Mank, here's the deal though. You're really supposed to just be helping me with punch-ups. He's like, just let me have a shot at it. And Orson really respected him. So he was like, okay, I'm going to let you do it. Um, but here's the thing, Mank. Um, you are going to have to do this for no credit at all. Like you, no one will know that you did this. And Mank was just like, cool. I don't give a shit. Like pay me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really give a fuck. I'm just going to write this movie. Um, you know, he gets a thousand dollars a week, whatever. Uh, he gets the thousand dollars and the stipulations were like Orson could cancel this contract at any time. If, if he turns in pages that don't hit, it's like, thanks for being here. Got to go. Mank would also be paid nothing if he drank. Uh, because they were on a very, very tight schedule and he really needed to get it done. And also anything that he writes, no matter what, even if he's taking notes for another project, the, everything he writes in this is property of Mercury Productions. Uh, he wrote the thing in 12 weeks, which is insane to me, and the working title was The American. Now, here's the deal. Nobody really knows how much of this movie was what Orson had already written that Mank took and put there or what was written by Mank or if it was all Mank. So like there was kind of, this was kind of at the time, like a goodwill hunting situation because it wasn't like they weren't really talking about it much in the, like in the studios and Orson Welles surprisingly didn't really give a shit about any of that stuff. But like people were, you know, kind of like how people were going, Oh, Oh, Ben Affleck didn't write shit on this goddamn movie. That was all Matt Damon. And then Argo comes out and everybody's like, well, damn, maybe he did. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Did he end up getting credit like a formal credit? Like, okay. Cause I was going to say, it's kind of, I mean, you know, it's weird to have the stipulation. No one will ever know that you did any of this. Right. And then later, like the whole, there's a whole movie and the whole story is about how, you know, exactly how much of this did he do? But like everybody yeah. knows that he did some of it. So how did that? So I'll, I'll jump forward a little bit. Uh, that, yeah. So basically what happens is they end up, the Mank writes the movie and they shoot most of it and they do a screener. And, like, people are going crazy for this shit, like, saying all the things that people would go on to say about it critically, like, this is amazing, all this shit. And Mank is like, God damn it, you know, like, because in his brain, he's like, he's like, I've never done anything that yeah, was like a critical that hits darling. hits this hard. Yeah, right. That hits this hard, and he's like, I, I've got, I fucking, I have to have credit for this. So he goes to Orson, he's like, dude, I got to get fucking credit. And Orson's like, bro, he's like, I don't give a fuck. Like I would love you to have credit. We're talking, but my contract, I feel like I'm screwed here. And so Mank is like, I'll sue, I'll do this or whatever. And yada, yada, yada. He's like, I've got to, I've got to have this. And so Orson, like unbeknownst to Mank, Orson is like, you know, he does deserve it, whatever. So he goes to RKO. He explains them the situation. He's like, I'm, I'm in fear of being in breach of my contract. I must let you know that I was aided on this picture by Herman Mankiewicz. And I would like for him to get a, co-credit on the screenplay and the people at RKO were like yeah why didn't you say so who gives right, a shit yeah, we don't well, they were right. like it, 
it was not really that big of a deal to them. They're like, hey, yeah. Now only because at this time they'd already seen the movie and they really and knew liked that hit. it. Yeah, and right. Knew like yeah we don't give a shit how you did it you did it fuck it and he's like okay i want mank to have equal billing with me like orson's and that mank never asked for like equal billing he just wanted his fucking name up there so orson's like okay we're, we're done good deal well mank doesn't know about any of this so on the other side of town he's meeting with the writers guild which was a new organization and he's telling me he's like this is what's happening to me and they were like oh that's fucking bullshit and he goes yeah we gotta take them down i want my name on it and they go all right well let us see your contract and he pulls out the contract and they're like yeah you but this what you signed up for dog <laughs> you know what right. i mean and yeah. then mate goes back in a fury like motherfucker and orson's like hey you got you got co co-billing like don't worry about it and when the movie actually came out because of a clerical error, when Orson was like filling out all this paperwork, it was like screenplay by, you know, Orson Welles. Down at the bottom was Mank's name, and Orson, instead of reprinting this whole thing, he circled Mank's name and then drew an arrow up to the screenplay thing to be like, hey, by the way, also him too. But the arrow, I guess, he drew was above his name. So Mank actually got first billing on, on Citizen Kane. Um, nice. Well, I mean... I think Orson Welles got a pretty fair amount of, he, of nobody credit talks for about it. Mank. Yeah, right? that's what, that's what yeah. I'd say. Like he might that may be true that Mank got you know top billing writing wise or whatever. But like you know, Orson Welles definitely got his due. Yeah, for, for sure. For and and movie. again, like I don't know how much of this was him in hindsight just being like try like you said trying to feign humility or whatever. But like I never read anything where it seemed like Orson Welles gave a shit at all. Like right. you know, like I think really. He was like, obviously, he it was his vision or whatever, but he was more interested in that people knew he directed it. You know what yeah. I mean? Because that's what nobody was really talking about, all the dialogue, even though it was good. Right. But, like, most people were like, that shot, this, the vision, you know, whatever. Um, so the press is going insane over this movie because, like, they all know nothing has ever been done like this before. And also they're spending all this money on a fucking kid who's never done shit. And it was almost like everybody kind of wanted it to fail, like they were rooting against it, you know, like, ah, oh, we, you know, we'll show them this ain't how it's done. The press also got a hold of the fact that, oh, shit, I think this is, is this about William Randolph Hearst, right? And everybody starts freaking the fuck out. RKO is freaking the fuck out because like William Randolph Hearst controls the world and he can really fuck people over if he wants to. And there's so many people that are working on this movie and their agents are like, you got to get the fuck out of this. If they're, if they're coming for William Randolph Hearst, you've got to get out of this because he'll come for you. And I want to mention that it's kind of wild because you called, I had this in my notes to say you called uh, 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 William Randolph Hearst, a Rupert Murdoch type earlier. And I agree I agree with you that's that's what he was, but the movie really doesn't make him out to be that big of an asshole, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Like the like Charles Foster Kane is this like powerful person, but like there's still a lot of humanity in him. And like I don't yeah. really think that they like I think William like William Randolph Hearst should be honored that they didn't do all the things that they easily could have done. Um, but like it gets bad. He thinks that all this bullshit's gonna happen. And William Randolph Hearst has all his people working to sabotage the film. Uh, he never did anything himself. He just had like all of his, you know, goons out there doing things. Like he had somebody go to RKO, the head of RKO, and go, I will give you, you know, like double what the movie costs to make and a million dollars, but you have to burn all the copies, not just not release it, 
burn everything, no duplicates, whatever, burn all the fucking copies. They, but as soon as he does that, everybody at RKO is like, we got something, you know, this right, is going to yeah, be really right. good. Um, and that actually ended up happening with Hearst. Like the Barbara Streisand effect kind of happens. Like it's getting more press now because William Randolph Hearst is freaking out about it. But they had people threatening the cast members. Like all, there were all these writers coming up to everybody that goes, hey, if you don't walk off the movie and if you don't somehow sabotage it, we're going to write a fake expose about your life. None of which is true, but everyone will believe because it will be in all of the papers. It will go uh -huh. to the Associated Press and it will be in all the papers. And I listened also to an interview with Orson Welles. This is crazy. A separate interview where he was talking about it got so bad that one day he was like on his way to his hotel and this dude who was like some sort of private eye came up to him, was like, Mr. Wells, do not go to your hotel. And he's like, why? He goes, I was just tipped off by a member of the paparazzi that the William Randolph Hearst people have. There's a young girl at the hotel. She's like 14 years old. As soon as you walk into that hotel, she's going to grab you. She's going to start fondling you, doing all this stuff, and they're going to take pictures immediately. And it's going to be in the papers tomorrow that you were in a relationship I know what you're about to say, that you were having an affair with an underage girl. When I heard it, I was like, and? You know, right. like, I was about to say, yeah, and America went, hits. Because it was 1941. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I knew this guy was cool. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I did not realize that anyone gave a fuck about, you know, parking a 14-year-old. No. Look, obviously, I'm not on board with it. I'm saying no, of course 80, not, but I'm 80 years ago. I did not realize that anyone cared about people doing that. I mean, hell, dude, goddamn rock stars were parking 14-year-olds in the 60s, 70s, 80s. I agree, yeah. No, I was with you. knew about it, so let alone yeah. the fucking 40s. But I mean, granted, like, good on that dude for protecting Orson, because, like, you still, if you're someone like Orson Welles who was appalled by it, like, you still don't want to be accused of it. But, yeah, I don't right. think there'd be any negativity, like, whatsoever. Right. Um, anyways, at the end of the day, Hearst was mainly, once he sees the movie, he was mainly just upset about how the character based on Marion Davies was portrayed because that's his real-life love. And uh, the character in the movie is Susan, I think. I can't remember. But anyways, it's like she plays Charles Foster Keynes. He falls in love with this fledgling starlet who used to hit but doesn't hit, but he still thinks she hits, but, like, no one else believes it. And, like, this very much paralleled, you know, Charles Foster or uh, William Randolph Hearst and Marion Davies uh, relationship which this obviously marion davies felt betrayed by mank because like they actually were good friends and here's him doing this to her but that was mainly what he was upset about probably because he goes god damn they didn't really paint me in too bad of a light but they really upset marion and i you know genuinely love her the movie is obviously uh critically successful but commercially it actually wasn't uh they it lost one hundred and sixty thousand dollars in its initial run um and uh, but here's the thing it because of William Randolph Hearst, there were 500 theaters in the country that wouldn't play the movie. And right. a lot of these were in huge markets. And like this is 1941. 500 is a lot of fucking theaters. I would say that's getting close to most of them. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, it lost one hundred sixty thousand dollars. It was nominated uh, for nine Oscars, but only one for best original screenplay which Orson Welles had second billing on. So Mank, he didn't win for best director. Mank really is the one that gets the Oscar uh, or whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I left, I cut a couple things out for time there. But yeah, that's Citizen Kane, uh, greatest movie of all time. And, you know, it was a tumultuous affair uh, making that some bitch.
Y'all, what a time it is to be alive. That's right. Federally, federally legal THC out here in these streets. From companies like, in particular, our sponsor, Mood. Mood is known for their federally legal THC, but now they're adding their most potent product yet to the lineup. Introducing hemp-based THCA flower, the future of legal THC. You can try it along with all of Mood's other amazing offerings like Delta 8 flower, gummies, vape cartridges, and more. And for a limited time, Mood is giving our listeners a free gram of THCA flour and 20% off your first order. College me couldn't have conceived of such a deal. A free gram of flour, it's true, and 20% off your first order. Just visit hellomood.com and use the code POA. I tell you what, I've talked before about how I've had uh I've had my ups and downs uh, with uh, with the wacky weed over the years and of course my, earlier in my life it was all just your sort of standard THC not this new federally legal variety or let alone THCA so I didn't know what what to expect when trying this felt like I knew what to expect from old fashioned weed but this stuff I didn't know All right well I've, I'm I'm here to tell you I was very, very pleasantly enthused by it because it didn't make me commune with the void. I was calm. I was chill, relaxed. I slept like a baby. As a matter of fact, I almost, it's almost wild how hard I've been sleeping since I've started taking my mood products before bed at night. Like, it's nuts, y'all. Sleep like the dead, which hits for me. So if you have any issues sleeping, I highly recommend you sleep easier, you're chill, you're calmer. None of the, none of the communing with the void stuff that I get from regular old THC, I'm a, I've become a pretty big fan, and uh, I appreciate Mood. Cho, tell them a little bit more about what Mood is, what they do. Well, Trey, here's the reason why you haven't been communing with the void, because Mood's latest and most potent breakthrough in the world of legal cannabis is the THCA flower, and here's what happens. The THCA converts into THC when you heat it, so what you're doing is you are getting access to that classic marijuana high. This is like a throwback. You know what I'm saying? All the other stuff that me and you've been introduced to, it's like, oh, this wasn't like it was for me in high school. Well, this is, man. This, you know, this is kind of like your daddy's weed, which really hits for me. And Mood has 10 high-inducing strains, the most potent that they've ever offered. There's something for every mood, by the way. Do you want to chill and relax? You just want to calm down? Or you got some soreness? You know, you just want to sleep easier like Trey. They've got something for whatever mood strikes you. And however you like to take THC, mood has you covered. They got, you know, gummies. They got the classic flower. They got convenient pre-rolls, which is good for me because I have horrible dexterity and could never roll one uh, that good myself. So even if you're a beginner or a veteran, holler at mood. Try mood's new THCA flower today and for 20% off your first order and a free gram of THCA flower, go to hellomood.com and use the promo code POA. That is hellomood.com and use the promo code POA. It's weed, but it's legal and it hits. Skew. Hits. All right. Well, let's do a couple of a uh, couple more historic fuck ups here, and then we can get into airmail and collar a dizzy here in a minute. So, uh, Guam, Cho, Guam here for you. I believe so. Uh, I, I swear <laughs> to God, I almost just started describing Guatemala. I yeah. swear to God. I mean, look, I don't know much about Guam either. It's one of. Our, I think it hits our, for me. Our, our, I mean, it's an island territory of there's America. There's not many countries. There's only a handful of countries where you say, "Hey, does this place hit for you?" And I'll go, "Absolutely not." And it's like North Korea, Saudi Arabia, 
you know, yeah. any, anything besides those, I'd be like, I don't know. They probably got some good shit going. Well, so anyway, Guam used to be owned by Spain, right? And, uh, you know, all Spain and us be. Well, during the Spanish-American War, we decided we would take Guam uh, from Spain. <laughs> so we went out there with... We That's went out there a funny with, thing to be like, let's just do that. Yeah, we went out there with a boat and shot a warning shot, right? right. That And giving them a chance to surrender. And they rode out there uh, from Guam, the Guamese or whatever, rode out there. Turns out they didn't even know that Spain and America were in a war or that oh, any shit. of that was going on. So they were out there and they were like, hey, welcome to Guam. Uh we heard you do that, uh, the gunfire salute. We appreciate it. We just want to <laughs> let you know, we would have saluted you back, as is obviously the custom, as yeah. far as we're aware. But unfortunately, we are just smooth out of gunpowder. We don't have any <laughs> gunpowder on this island at all. And the U.S. boat was like, what? No, we're here to take y'all from Spain. Right. Make, make you us now or whatever. Oh, this was, a, this was a misunderstanding. It's much worse uh, for you. So your, your choices are either, you know, fight us or surrender. And they were like, well, we just told you we just don't have any you. gunpowder. <laughs> yeah. on so, so I guess that means we'll surrender then. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Guam's been in American territory ever since, I reckon. That is so, fucking hilarious. Yeah. Uh, it's like a Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, it is. Moment, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Accidentally confessing that. During World War II, there was a type of German submarine show called the, it, you know, they had their U-boats. Their subs were called U-boats. U-boats, yeah. They had a U-boat called U-1206. Now, this is back in, like, you know, submarines was still kind of that new hotness at the time. They're very oh, yeah. compl complicated machines and a very big deal. Feats of engineering. Well, on U-1206, uh, the the toilets, the plumbing system they rigged up in this in this submarine was so complicated that it required a trained technician stationed on the boat to operate it. Meaning, you like said to, the toilet, the toilet. They had a trained toilet man. Who that was his job on the boat because that's how complex the plumbing system was. The captain of boat U twelve oh six one day had to take a big old Nazi shit, right? Right. Yeah, not a country and shit. Nazi not a shit. country shit. Yeah, Nazi shit. And he went out there and uh, or he went in there and did it, and it was so bad, so filthy, so nasty that he was embarrassed to go summon the turlet man to do his turlet duties. Right. In there, no pun intended. And so he was like, how hard can it be? I can flush a goddamn toilet, oh. right? So in attempting to flush the toilet, he effectively scuttled his own boat and rendered it uh, no longer <laughs> seaworthy. It floated up. <laughs> Scuttlebutt. Use uselessly to the surface of the ocean, which was, they were stationed right off the coast of Scotland, by the way. <laughs> so the British immediately captured him yeah. and he lost the boat and, you know, and in shame because he was too embarrassed to have somebody else smell his stanky poo-poo. Man, I um, know this ain't the same thing, but like, let's, well, I'll put it as a hypothetical instead of admitting to something I did. Uh, if you, sure. hypothetically, if you were at, let's say, Walmart and you took a shit in the Walmart and you clogged up the toilet and there's no plunger in there, Run. are you... Yeah, right. You're not going, and I know that sucks, but like you're not going to be like, hey, one of y'all needs to take care of that. That's for the person that comes in after. <laughs> I would I would run for the hills. I'd leave yeah. a cart full of groceries in yeah, the aisle. Never shop at that Walmart again. Never shop at that Walmart ever again. Yeah. That's what I would do probably. Okay. I, 
I did that once in a hotel and I was staying in the hotel. So I had no recourse other than to call someone. And it was so bad too. And it was in mm-hmm. Hawaii. And like, yeah, I remember, the, yeah, I remember the, that the dude was, we had been to that pork luau thing, just yeah. white, white people in it up. And then the guy that comes up there to f- fix this crime against humanity that I've done, he is of course a native Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. I'm a fucking white dipshit mm-hmm. who has just rent this bathroom with, uh, you know, with my own refuse because I couldn't handle, you know, the uh, culinary offerings of their island culture, I suppose. And it was just, uh, it was real, real, real embarrassing. So I probably would have sunk my own boat too, if that were if, an option. Instead, If of- you will remember... This also happened to me when we were in Texas, and as a prank, Drew and Brian both took a shit in my toilet. It clogged up. I Uh called the person to come fix it, forgot that I had done that, and then that guy walked in on me beating off on a bed that wasn't even all the way on the bed because part of their prank was throwing my mattress away. So at an angle congruent to the door, this man had to see all my shame. So just to recap for y'all at home, um, because I just don't want it to get glossed over, he arrived at his own hotel room. It was in utter disarray. He knew Mm -hmm. that his friends had done this to him, but part of what they did was they pooped all in his toilet and jacked it up. They also turned the heat up to like 88 degrees. It was blasting Fox Fox News. Blasting on the TV at the highest volume the TV would go to. I'm saying all that to say, hard to miss any of this. It takes over your entire perception as soon as you walk in the room you like it's not easy to just move on from i feel (laughs) so he gets in there sees all this immediately calls for assistance with the toilet and whatnot and then in the five minutes it takes for that guy to respond to his call and get up there to fix his toilet he somehow forgets that any of that happened and decides to whoop it out and go to town on himself with the door unlocked and ended no, up, you he know. had a key. Okay, he had a key. Well, fair enough, but still, just wild. I'd been on a plane wild. all day. Your man. Brain be. I know yeah. it's stupid. All right, speaking of stupid, Nikola Tesla, obviously not a stupid guy, but had some tough luck uh, over the course of you know, got fucked over by Edison many times. Famously, well, I didn't know this, but he also at one point he made a contract with Westinghouse to get one dollar. For every kilowatt of power produced from his novel system of AC power generation, right? Yeah. Westinghouse didn't realize, though, that there's no way they could make a profit, so he needed to renegotiate that rate. Instead of actually renegotiating it, Tesla said, ah, don't worry about it, it's fine, and just ripped up the contract, right? If instead he had agreed to something like 10 cents per kilowatt, right, it would have been viable from Westinghouse's perspective and also... Nikola Tesla probably would have died the richest man to have ever lived in all of human mm-hmm. history. But instead, he didn't get none of that. And he, he died, died penniless. penniless. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. On a so, bench or something, I think. It's, yeah, it's uh, a sad affair. That's tough. It's tough to take. You ever heard of a feller named Thomas Midgley Jr.? Joe? Thomas Midgley Jr. No, I have not. I'm familiar with Thomas Midgley, but I didn't know he had a boy. Uh, well, his boy was a bit of a fuck up. Actually, real bright guy, but. He had two primary contributions to uh, society as we know it. He uh, was one of the early pioneers of chlorofluorocarbons. Okay, okay chlorofluorocarbons. That was uh, the, that's in plants. 
also known as CFCs. And I don't know if you remember, but I feel like when we were in elementary and middle school, yeah. CFCs were that was a, a big, big, big deal. Yeah, I thought they'd come up more, honestly. Be- because CFCs were what were actively destroying the ozone layer. You remember how right. in the nineties everybody was really worried about the or, the ozone layer being destroyed? Yep. That was how, that was because of CFCs, which this yeah, dude. Yeah, for invented. our younger listeners, we used to be concerned. Yeah, and. uh well, you know, I take heart in that example, actually, of like, that was a thing where like, we're like, oh, shit, this ain't good. And we actually kind of like addressed it. And now it's I know. better, which is weird. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah no, you're happens. right. You're right. But anyway, yeah, I'm just saying that we stopped giving a shit about the ozone shortly after. Because it got fixed. Is right. Why? Yeah. I'm saying yeah. like the whole, the whole ozone layer, it ain't there no more. The ozone right. got better. Like, That's it true. was a problem when we were kids. It was a big problem. Yeah. But we like fixed it. That's and crazy that okay. we did that. Yeah, it seems right. Absurd to even, uh, you know, suffer the thought that we might try to do something like that, but we did. But anyway, Thomas Midgley Jr., he invented CFCs. He also invented one other thing in his illustrious career. How you invent that? Leaded gasoline. Okay. (laughs) Which, not sure if you're aware, but... So it was unleaded before. Society. Uh, Leaded (laughs) gasoline has been... um, blamed very often for the incredibly high crime and murder rate in the 70s and 80s in this country and a drop-off in IQ of uh, an average of three points across the board for Americans, all because of leaded gasoline. I did not know that. Yeah, some people, Cho, actually think, there's a theory, and I don't know why they can't like prove this, but one way or the other, but there's a theory that that, and BPP is not with us at present on this episode. It's a good thing. There's a there's a theory that that's what's up with boomers' brains. That that's yeah. why boomers are like all wild and shit. They had lead in, paint in their too. old age, and it's like and yeah. it, there's a theory that that's because of lead. That like lead in their youth has made them the way they be now. Right. So like, I mean. Um, <laughs> don't not you know, check out i, I mean yeah. look I, I think that's the best they can hope for is to it's not their fault it's just that they you know their parents smoked in front of them they got dropped on their head without a helmet and there was lead in the gas yeah so uh this one okay just we'll do a couple more first of all alexander graham bell when he came up with his brand new uh telephone invention he tried to take it to western I thought that was Union. the taco bell guy he tried to take it to Western Union, who at the time, uh, you know, they had all the, the telegraph services, right. you know, uh, fucking you need to send a, a message to somebody on a boom town in California yeah. telling them that, you know, their uncle died. Stop. I love you. Stop. Stop. Your sister yeah, was right. eaten by wolves. Stop. Stop. Yeah, exactly. That that was Western Union's business. Well, Alexander Graham Bale, pretty slick move, in my opinion, comes to them with his telephone invention and says, hey you've already got the infrastructure mm-hmm. in place because of your telegraph lines. I'll sell this to you. You put this on them and mm-hmm. now you'll have telephone lines and this is how it works. And they were like, ain't nobody going to talk on a goddamn telephone. That's <laughs> that shit. I want the horse. Hit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want the horse. They want the, they want to hear stop and their four word messages. Yeah. They the receive <laughs> three times a year by yeah, a man that, wearing them. Wearing an yeah. usher's hat and white gloves. That's what they That's want. That's what they want. That's what the people want, you <laughs> idiot. Get the fuck out of my office, right? And uh, so, yeah, that obviously pretty big fuck up for Western Union. Although I do feel like I should say, 
I think it's pretty impressive that Western Union is still around at right. all. Right, I was about well, to like, say that. Like, like Western still here. Union, the fact that they pivoted to you money. Know, wiring money for trashy yeah. people or drug dealers of which my mother is both. And she uses Western right. union still to this day. Uh, the fact that they uh, pivoted to that after being the telegraph, that the telegraph company, right. that They still exist in 2023. It's crazy. They do like a couple billion dollars in revenue or something here. Like I know. pretty wild. And, so, and because like, obviously they had to pivot because of that. Like, well, we go to right. money, whatever, but like, you would because I've I've looked into this a little bit. Like I'm, I think there was like there's been a little drop off because of Venmo and PayPal and all these things. But like they're still very much the one to go to when you've got a brother in prison exactly. or a mama, yeah, somewhere yeah. being sorry. Yes, hundred percent. And that's uh, still a pretty big market. All right, last one. You're gonna love this one. I thought. I mean, it's sad. I never knew this, and also I didn't fact check it, but I just need this to be true. So first of all, sad situation. Obviously, the Challenger disaster, right? The Challenger mm. shuttle exploding did not hit five five, I believe, before either of us were born. Mm. But we grew up hearing about it. Well, because it was before we were born, I don't think I knew. Maybe you didn't know either. They had um, part a of woman that, on there. Not just a woman, right? So interest in the space program had been waning in America. And like they really needed this to, to work to like right. get get you know to get more funding for NASA and, and get people back on the side of space mess and shit in, in the US. So part of what they came up with was is basically this publicity stunt called uh, a school teacher in space, right? Oh, the importance boy. of American school teachers. So they had this contest to identify an actual American school teacher to send to space on the Challenger shuttle alongside the astronauts. And they did. And that, per and that person was on the shuttle and that person died like they all did. What that means, but I'm not even, I've not even got to the, to the truly raving part yet. But what, what that means is because of how that at all, that was, this is this huge story. A school teacher is an astronaut, whatever. Yeah. I remember she was a school teacher. American but school child in this country mm -hmm. was watching that live mm -hmm. when they mm -hmm. otherwise would not have been yep. right. Yeah. Yep. So that's pretty Raven, pretty big <sighs> screw up. Not that they could have sent the screw up is that they allowed that it was allowed to explode at all. Right. But that just makes it so much more Raven, right? Well, what is truly crazy is what they almost did. <laughs> so, and they didn't. So thankfully this was averted. This part of it still a horrible tra tragedy either way, but all this is working. They got the school teacher in space. People are into it. They've identified, you know, they got, they've captured the hearts and minds of America's youth and stuff. They know they're going to have a lot of kids watching. <laughs> so they have another idea. Oh, God. They're like, what we got, we got space for one more person on there. What if we oh. get somebody else that, that kids love, right? Gary and they Coleman. They landed on Carol Spinney, a famous puppeteer, a puppeteer famous for portraying Big Bird on Sesame Street. And they were even working out how Carol Spinney could go up on the Challenger in costume oh as God. Big Bird, bro. Can you imagine? So imagine. Oh, my if God. they had Big Bird strapped into that fucking shuttle with every school kid in America watching it as it then burst into flames oh. right after leaving the thing. And I'm sorry to laugh again. It is that's, a horrible thing. But my hilarious. God, bro. We're not laughing at the imagine thing that Imagine that. I, I can't. 
I, that's that's too much. Like that, Big Bird almost blew up on the Challenger shuttle. <laughs> like, that's one of them crazy. things. That's one of them things that like if it happened, if you tried to write that, people would be like, they would never do this. But they almost very much fucking did. And by the way, can I tell you, you've blown my mind here because like I knew that that woman had been like it, it was always she was a school teacher or whatever. But I thought it was like she was a school teacher and then wanted to go to astronaut school. And it's like, you know, some, like, dude, Cheryl Crow used to be a school teacher. Like, you can change careers. I had no idea that they did, like, an America's Got Talent search for, like... Well, I don't know how much of it... I'm sure I'm sure they found a super highly qualified person who also was or had been a school teacher. But right. it was part of this, like, coordinated I PR not, campaign, yeah. a school teacher in space and everything, Bro. to try to, you know, gin up more interest in the whole program. And it uh, sort of backfired in the end. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. All right. Let's have some airmail. Shoo wee. All right. Real quick one from Kevin. Four hour episodes would be fine. I don't ever get tired of y'all. Thank you, Kevin. Well, no, that's uh, sweet. Here's one that uh quasi promotion for our other podcast, Well Read. Uh, subject line, old, well read. I listen to podcasts eight hours a day. I, I'm only bringing this up because this next part's about to hit for you. I listen to podcasts eight hours a day while I work from home doing a lame HR job. I love all y'all's pods. So I decided to go back and listen to well read from the beginning. Highly advised, by the way, uh, just listen to number 104. And I literally have never laughed harder. I love dinosaurs and completely agree with Trey. Pink and blue feathered T-Rexes don't hit. Chewy, that was better than the great squirrel debate of early putting on airs, which is saying a lot. Thanks for all the laughs. So, yeah, if y'all don't That's know. That's great. We were just talking about Jurassic Park. Yeah, one uh, episode 104, apparently, and I'm glad to know it. Hell, I might Me go too. back and listen to it now. This is before. This is back when podcasts were all still audio only, basically, so it's just audio only, but we recorded it live together in a hotel room on the road like we did most of those early episodes, and we got into an argument. Corey and Drew were baiting me because I was pretty hammered, and they knew it, They but they were, like, baiting me into an argument about being sincere by the way about whether dinosaurs would hit harder if they had feathers or not and of course i was adamantly opposed to that notion and it and i got madder than any of y'all have ever heard me or it, seen me about and any he topic, really was including the squirrel debate like i was yes. up pointing and screaming in drew's face yep. about about feathered dinosaurs <laughs> it was all said and done so yeah yeah we've had check people that out We've had people bring this up a lot and we're like, oh, was that a put on or whatever? And no. I was, <laughs> a, a, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, by the way, thank you for the compliment that any of us are that good of actors. You know oh, yeah. what I'm saying? But like, no, I can tell you. And that's what makes it so funny is knowing that Trey, if he knew he wouldn't get in trouble, would have murdered both me and Drew <laughs> on the spot without question. So, yeah, listen to Well Read, specifically episode 104. I'm going to go back and listen to it, too. I may just go ahead and re-release it on the thing so everybody can remember how yeah. hard it hits. Um, subject line, Grover Cleveland, Francis Folsom, POA correction. All right. Grover Cleveland was a bachelor who was elected president, even though his opponents made a huge deal that he was the father of an illegitimate child. Yeah. Hence, hence the slogan, Ma, Ma, where's my pa? Gone to the White House. Ha, ha, ha. It's pretty good. Uh, when asked about this, Cleveland didn't deny it, but merely said, tell the truth. Uh, rather badass, me thinks. 
he did marry his ward, ooh, Francis Folsom, in a White House ceremony. She's the only first lady to give birth while a resident of the White House, and I think the baby Ruth bar was named after her daughter. That is true. Got trivia? Me too. Love you better than pork chops. From Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, the land of James Buchanan, no longer the worst president. That is Marjorie, who is also a member of my Substack. So I thank you. That's bonuscory.com. All right. Uh, one more. One more and we'll go. Uh, subject line, drop all the fucking names you want, Trey. Kim says, don't be shy, Trey, regarding named name dropping when it comes to famous folk like Norman Lear. We have famous folk in the medical profession, and when Dame Sheila Sherlock died, you know damn well that I bragged about how I got a signed copy of her hepatology textbook. Also, when former AGA and ASGE president and transplant hepatologist Dr. Emmett Keefe died, you better bet mm -hmm. I wrote a eulogy on the AGA website because he was my program director and mentor during my fellowship. We should all be proud of our associations and brushes with greatness. Sometimes just knowing that these people we so admired are just as human as we are, giving us something to aspire to, and sometimes just to delight us like, uh, like when y'all come acknowledge us lay folk after a show. Your pal, Kim Casado, also wow. a member of my Substack. P.S. Yes, patron of mine, Kim Casado. She's been... Uh... She's been OG. around this universe for a long time. She is an OG, yeah. Yes. P.S. Thank you so much for including Patrick Stewart for Sexiest Bald Man Alive. Even in his 80s, there's just something about that guy. That Mark Strong got it going on, too. Mm-hmm. Mark All Strong right. does it. Well, there you go. There's the airmail. You can mail us at putting on airs at gmail.com. Thank you for liking, subscribing, and telling all your friends about this show. That is the best way to get the word out. I would ask that if you haven't given us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or any of the other ones, please go do that. It takes you two seconds, but it really helps us out. Five-star review, write something nice. And by the way, even if you did in the past, go write another one. They don't know. It don't matter. Uh, Trey, plug your shit. Well, the two of us will be with Drew Morgan at Zanies in Nashville tonight and tomorrow night as when this uh, when this episode drops. Uh, we were there last night, too. Thanks for everybody that came out last night. Those shows should hit uh, in 2024. I got a bunch of shows coming up uh, all around the world. All, well, not the world, all around the country. Go to uh, TreyCrowder.com for tickets to all of them and also our book around here and over yonder. Comedian That's right. Guy, holler at that, too. That's right. Get it wherever books are sold. It's going to make a great Christmas gift. You can get the audio one, and it'll come directly to your phone. And, hey, like I said, bonuscory.com. Uh, that is where I do my bonus things, audio dramas. I'm currently working on a Christmas special coming to you from the fictitious town of Chickalooky. Bonuscory.com. Love y'all, and stay fancy. Here's Lydia Loveless. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Royalty and rednecks are alike. They both like cutting and picking fights. Biscuits and baked beans where they don't belong. Sit on down with Corey and Trey and learn some fancy shit today. We'll laugh a little even when they're wrong. They'll take you to a magical place where if you call someone a cut, nobody cares. They keep it debonair at putting on airs, putting on airs, putting on airs, putting on airs. 
NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! As an adult, don't we all miss spring break? Nothing like taking a week off from all your responsibilities. Well, here's the next best thing for adults, a spring break from house payments. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of all your credit card debt, just like that. We're routinely helping our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but check this out. No house payments for two months at SaveWithConrad.com.